And we are going to be looking at the themes of Advent over the next four weeks, the themes of hope and peace and joy and love as we prepare uh, for the arrival of Jesus. And, and actually, literally, that's what Advent means. It means arrival. It's from an old Latin word. Uh, we don't use the word Advent a whole lot, but it means arrival. And what we do during the Advent season is we uh, commemorate the arrival of Jesus. We take time to ponder the arrival of Jesus. And you might think that that's a, a little funny or silly. Maybe you're not used to celebrating Advent and think, well, why? I mean, he's already arrived. Why do we celebrate his arrival all over again? Why do we take time to, to pause and, you know, and, and celebrate something that's happened? I mean, every year before my wedding anniversary, I don't take a month to kind of pretend I'm single again to prepare for, you know, being met, the, celebrating the, our anniversary. I mean, why take time to, to kind of ponder the arrival of Jesus as if maybe he hadn't come yet? Well, it may seem silly, but there's a couple things that are really beneficial in celebrating Advent. One is just to take time to ponder how good we have it, that he has arrived, that he has come, uh, that God has become flesh and he's dwelt among us. That just that truth alone is just fantastic. That God, the eternal, infinite God, who, who cannot even be contained in all of creation, all the universe, has humbled himself and somehow... Become man, become a baby in a manger, fully man, while being fully God. That's just spectacular in and of itself. And then all the implications that flow from that um, are, are wonderful to consider. So Advent's a time just to stop and think, wow, this happened, and this is for me, and I can live in this truth. But there's a second aspect of Advent that's important, and that is that there's a second Advent coming. Jesus has arrived. He's come as God in the flesh. He's accomplished his work of living a righteous life, offering that up on the cross to die for our sins, being raised from the dead on the third day. And he's ascended. And he's actually right now reigning over all things and and reigning to accomplish all of God's plans. And those plans are mysterious at times, and there's ebbs and flows. We don't understand it all. But, but he has plans that Jesus is overseeing. And when those plans are done, he will arrive a second time. He's not becoming a baby again. He's coming down as Jesus, God in the flesh, to finish what he started. And so Advent season is not only a, a commemoration of his first arrival, but it's an anticipation of his final arrival. And, and we need to... Remember that. And that's what we do. And, and today we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about this theme of hope, the first theme in the Advent season. And, and it's such an important part of the Christian life. Because we live in this time between the two Advents. He's come. He's already come in the flesh. He is a historical figure who actually lived in, in the area of Israel and died and rose again. And he provided for our forgiveness, and, and that's accomplished. But he hasn't, he hasn't worked out all the implications of that. There's, there's more work to, to finish. And so we live in this in-between time. He's come. He died for our sins. Our, if we come to him and turn from our, our own ways and turn to him and put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. Uh, he died for our sins and paid the penalty. So we are completely forgiven. We are welcomed into the family of God in that wonderful place of 
depending on him, which is a gift itself. So that's accomplished. And if you today have put your faith in Christ, you are today a son or a daughter. You are forgiven. You are beloved. You do belong to him, and he'll never let you out of his hand. But he hasn't finished all his work. It's pretty obvious, right? If we look at ourselves and recognize I'm not sinless yet. Uh, There's still sin in me. I still struggle. And I look around at my brothers and sisters and friends here, and they're not sinless yet either. We are imperfect. And if I look at the world, it's still full of lots of trouble. The work isn't complete. We live between the two advents. And hope is so important for us. And it's so important during this season to really consider this theme of hope. We live in this world that's broken. It is mixed up. We watch wars and devastations. There are catastrophes. There's genocide. There's horrible things out there. To live in this world is to suffer harm and to face even grave failure of our own and others. It's to watch people you love get sick and suffer. It's to see your friends and loved ones die. It's to have dreams fulfilled and at times dreams dashed. That's what it means to live in this time. It's, it's a broken world. And no matter how optimistic you may be, the reality is there are many reasons to grieve in this world. And as you grow older, those reasons can pile up. Uh, nowadays, I, I have access to a lot of my high school friends via Facebook. Uh, one of the benefits of Facebook, certainly there are, it's not all benefits. We have to wisely use Facebook. But one of the benefits is, is that I can access a lot of my high school friends. And, and it's really interesting to look at their lives. When we graduated back, in, back a couple centuries ago, I graduated back in 1982. I'm not that old, actually. Though, for me, 82 doesn't sound old. Maybe for you, depending on your age, it does. Um, but when we were 18 years old, we were just full of optimism. You know, we, we were going to go out there and just kind of just do great things and, and, and change the world and have a lot of fun doing it, right? That was the attitude when you graduate high school for many of us. And, and now I look at my friends and I just think, you know, I, I'm sure, sure there's some degree of optimism, but, but they've been through the grind of life. Um, some of my friends have died. Some of my friends have lost loved ones, parents, children. Uh, they've, they've seen failed marriages, they've seen fa- failed careers, substance abuse, jail, all sorts of things. And I think about what they would be like now, to sit and talk to them now. What do you think about life? What do you think about the prospects for the future? And I'm sure you'd get a lot of, a, a lot of different answers than you would have got back in 1982. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? We go through life and we face these obstacles and it's hard. And, and even as ones who have put our faith in Christ and we know we're forgiven, there's still difficulty. We live between these two advents. And God in His kindness to us gives us His Word. Because He knows this. God in His kindness to us has actually sent His Son. He's stared in the face of sin and brokenness of the world, and He's sent His Son to overcome the world. He sent His Son to, to be a reality that's greater than all the harsh realities of this life, to overcome the world. And He understands that we need Jesus. He understands we need help. He understands we need hope. 
And Jesus will fix all things, but the Father calls us to a life in this in-between time, between the first advent and the second advent, to live lives of hope. It's a word used throughout the Scriptures. It's an essential part of the Christian life. Paul says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. In some ways, these three essences of the Christian life, and hope is an integral part of that. Well, our story today that John and Lisa read, is a picture of two people who lived lives of hope. So what we're going to do is you're just going to take time. I I won't reread it since they read it. I think we have it to project. And and if you can open your Bibles, if you have a Bible in front of you, to to Luke chapter 2. We're just going to go through this story and learn about hope from them. Learn about their lives. So let's pray. Let's pray and ask God to teach us about hope. Let's ask God to actually change us. So, Because perhaps you came this morning and just hope wasn't on the radar. What was on or is on the radar are all these other things, all these difficulties. Maybe they're big difficulties. Maybe they're small ones. It's interesting in this Christmas season how we can take things that aren't all that big and make them big, uh, worrying about the busyness of the season. So let's pray and ask God to, to take our attention from wherever it might be and put it on his word, and this wonderful truth of hope. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you this morning to be with us. We ask you, Lord, to teach us about hope. And I pray, God, would you change my heart, would you change our hearts as we understand hope and as we respond to your call to live by hope. Oh, God, would you grant strength to your people. And would you draw those in our midst who have yet to put their faith in you? Would, would you grant them peace right now as they're with us? Would just the ability to be at rest and know that they're loved? And we're glad they're here. But Lord, would you speak to them and draw them to your presence? Draw them to this wonderful truth of the hope that you provide. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let me just review the story again for you. Uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into it and, and learn from it. This is early on in Jesus' life. He's a baby. His parents are devout uh, worshipers, good observant Jews of the day. And when you had a child, you would go for a purification offering to the temple. And your firstborn, you would devote uh, your firstborn or something uh, as a substitute to the Lord. So they're going to the temple for the purification and to devote Jesus to the Lord. They don't have an offering in Jesus' place, so apparently they are offering their firstborn in service to the Lord. So they go to the temple to do this as part of their worship, and they meet this man, Simeon. Simeon is a devout, he's a righteous and devout man. He's a man who's a good-hearted, sincere follower of God. And as a Jew, he is, because he's good-hearted and faithful, he's an observant Jew who loves the Lord and worships according to the pattern given to the Mosaic Covenant. So when it says devout, it means that he's observant, he's dedicated, he's, he's religious for all the right reasons. And they come and they meet him, and it says about him that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an important phrase, we'll touch on that in a little bit, the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for God to bring comfort. Consolation is comfort. He's waiting for God to comfort his people, Israel. He's waiting for God to come and to right all the wrongs, to rescue his people, to bring this everlasting kingdom that would would resolve all the difficulties of this world, to bring this kingdom of truth and goodness and peace under the leadership of God's special king. So when this is spoken of in Scripture, the consolation of Israel, there there is the understanding that there's this king who's going to come. 
Who's going to right all the wrongs and solve all the difficulties? This anointed king, this Messiah, that's what Messiah means, or Christ means the anointed one, the the king. And so Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting, he's hoping, he's, he's looking to the Lord, and as a matter of fact, he's a prophet who has heard from God, and God has told him he would not die before he sees the Lord's Christ. What a fantastic promise for Simeon. You will not die before you get to see the promised one. God has already spoken to him and he's in the temple and as Jesus comes in with his parents, baby Jesus, the Holy Spirit prompts Simeon to go. He sees what's going on. He realizes this is the moment. The Spirit of God ministers, speaks to him and and, and he goes and he encounters the parents and he takes in his arms this baby who is the embodiment, the fulfillment, the object of his hopes. He takes into his arms the one who actually is the consolation of Israel. What a moment for Simeon. What a moment. He, he's probably an older man at this point. And he's waited all his life for this one. And now here he is. And he holds him in his arm, arms. And he speaks about him. And he speaks to the parents. He prophesies to them and gives them some warning as well. And then... The parents uh, continue and they meet Anna. A very similar situation. This, this is a, a woman. She's a prophetess. And she's been ministering in the temple for a long time. Waiting for the redemption of Israel. Same sort of word. Waiting for the Messiah. And she meets Jesus and she speaks about the redemption of Israel to those who are there. And so this story is, is a wonderful story of two people that are probably older people who are waiting. They've been waiting for a long time. They've been hoping for a long time. And now the object of their hopes is there in front of their eyes. Now the main point in this story is really that we would see through Simeon and Hannah's, Anna's experience that Jesus is the one who fulfills all the hopes of Scripture. And we would put hope in Him as well. That's really the main point here. And I wouldn't want you to think that what I'm going to talk about is the main point. I want to talk about really a side point. I just want to take some time to observe Simeon and Anna and learn about hope and how it functions and how it functions in their lives and then some lessons we can apply to ourselves. I think you have notes in front of you. You can follow along on these different lessons learned from Simeon and Anna and their life of hope. First lesson we learn is that biblical hope is based on the promises of God. Biblical hope is based on the promises of God. Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a phrase. And Anna speaks of the redemption of Jerusalem. Both similar phrases. And you can take time to look in your Old Testament and see all these different things. uh, These different scriptures that speak about the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Israel. And, And let me just take some time to to uh, show you a couple of scriptures, and that actually is the whole, all that we're going to learn today. But you can, you'll see that at the end. You can just follow through your notes. Uh, we're in, number one, based on the promises of God. So some of the promises of God in scripture. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Comfort, comfort my people. 
says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And it goes on. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is a promise in Isaiah that God would come, and he says, Speak comfort to my people. Comfort. At the time, they were facing enemies and exile. And in Jesus' day, they were under Roman domination. And this promise for them was important. Because God had promised, I will bring comfort. I will do these things. There will be a day when I come as a shepherd and resolve all these things. So that is the sort of promise that is in Simeon's mind. Isaiah 61 as well. Another verse, perhaps you're familiar with it. Jesus reads from it later on in Luke. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Consolation, comforts. Now Simeon and Anna were good Jews. They knew their Bible and probably had these promises memorized. They had grown up on the scriptures and these promises. In, in many ways, you know, they didn't have uh, all the information options we have today. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have videos. They didn't have video games. Certainly, I'm sure they did things for fun and played games and so forth. But their lives would have been saturated with scripture. They would have heard it every Saturday. They would have memorize the Bible. If they went to school, they would have been instructed in the Word. And so these promises were things that filled their minds. These promises of consolation for Israel shaped their lives, shaped their worldview. Everybody was talking about this, these sort of things. So these promises informed them. These promises, these poignant promises filled their minds and defined their lives. And position them to live in hope. We really do the same thing with how we live. There is information that shapes our lives. All sorts of information. And we always act this way. I think we understand this intuitively. That information and truth will will shape us. And for Simeon and Anna, it was the truth, the information about the promises of God. But we also live by promises and multiple ways, not just the promises of God, but if you were um, out shopping on Friday this week, you did so on the promises of Macy's and Kohl's and Walmart, right? Because they sent out this information about all the things that they promised to you if you would just get up really early on Friday morning or maybe stay up all night. Um, It's actually interesting. Black Friday has gone from like, what, like five in the morning on to now all-nighter. Right? I mean, it's, they, they starts at 8 p.m. Did anybody do it, go out between 8 and 5 in the morning? One person. Um, 
Uh, two, okay, it's, it's, it's common. But you did that because you read the flyers and you heard the promises, right? And you thought, wow, this is great. This is such a great deal. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get up really early or I'm going to stay up tonight and, and go buy these things because of the promises of those flyers and the hope that you would get one of those things. I don't know if you got what you wanted. Um, I did it once and I did get my, uh, my GameCube, I think it was, some years ago. Um, so we understand we operate this same way Simeon and Anna filled their minds with the promises of God it shaped their lives and, and so hope is built on these promises and I would just encourage you if you want to be one who lives a life of, in the power and strength of hope fill your mind with the promises of God uh, some ways to do that there's lots of ways to do that we have a book on the bookshelf called The Gospel Primer and it's a book that just goes through gospel promises. It has uh, little readings you can do each day, and then, and then a whole s- section that's kind of poetry and so forth, prose version of that. And just to, to read that and to fill your mind and your heart with the promises of God. I think I have on order a book by Charles Spurgeon called Faith's Checkbook. It's, another, it's a daily devotional, same sort of thing, a, a promise, then a meditation on a promise. And as we build our lives on these promises, they'll fill our souls, and we'll experience hope like like Simeon and Anna as well. Second point, hope is built on the promises of God and revealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's an important part of this experience of hope. And for Simeon and Anna, we see in the story that they experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That Simeon had actually heard from God. God had spoken to him and said, you will not die before you get to see the Lord's Christ. And Anna was a prophetess, so she is, she is a hearing God regularly. And, and um, it's just interesting to see this. And these are not Old Testament prophets in the sense of writing scriptures. And there's a consistent history of God speaking to his people. And so Simeon and Anna are hearing him, and hearing him in a way that I, I would put them in the category of prophet and prophetess. But... It would be incorrect for us to think, well, that's them because they're prophets and prophetesses. They're different. They have that ability to hear. But really, uh, if you read the New Testament, you see that the promise of the Holy Spirit would be for, is for all of God's children. Maybe not in the same degree that they experience, but all of us are to hear from God. Our sons and daughters are to prophesy, Joel 2 says, and Acts 2 speaks of. The, the New Testament experience of the Holy Spirit is... To hear from God. To hear God speak to us under the authority of his word, through his word. But he speaks to us in the same way. And these guys, Simeon and Anna, heard from God by the Holy Spirit. And and these promises were were clarified. And and there were unique promises Simeon had to see the Lord's Christ. But they experienced God speaking to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, is given to us to speak to us, to take these promises that we memorize and read and make them alive to us so that it wouldn't just be content and information as important as that is, but it would, be, it would be illumination, it would be experience of God. So when we read those promises, we would say, God spoke to me today. And I experienced that truth in a way that was beyond just understanding intellectually. There was a, there was a grasping and a living in it as the Spirit spoke to me. Paul says in Romans 15 something in line with this, if we could show that on the overhead. Wonderful verse. He's speaking to the Romans. He says, May the God of hope, 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God wants you, Paul's prayer is that God would fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and that really parallel with that, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Part of the Holy Spirit's ministry to you today is to give you power to abound in hope. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to abound in hope. This is God's desire for you, to abound in hope. So if you're here today, this message is not just about hearing some new information. God the Holy Spirit wants to help you experience what it is to abound in hope. And he wants to perhaps change your experience of the Christmas season. That you would abound in hope, that you would be filled with joy and peace as the Spirit of God speaks to you through the promises of God. So ask Him to do that. Ask God to fill you with hope. Ask God the Holy Spirit to fill you with hope. This hope grounded on the promises of God revealed by the Holy Spirit of God, gives us strength for life. It gives us strength for life. We see that by looking at Simeon and Anna. They are, they are old. We know Anna's old. It says that she lost her husband uh, shortly after she was married, probably in her early 20s at this point, and it was 60 years since then. She's been ministering in the temple. She's been there night and day. I don't know, think it necessarily means she lives there, but she's there all the time, ministering and worshiping, fasting and praying. Simeon is old. It doesn't say explicitly that he's old, but, he, but what he says, he says, Now, Lord, you can dismiss your servant in peace. Basically, I'm ready to die, Lord. So he, they're both old. I don't know. I mean, Anna's probably in her 80s. Simeon, I don't know what, how old he is. And I don't mean any offense to anyone in their 80s to say you're old, but I think we could say 80s is really old. Um, but these guys are old, and, and, but look at, look at their behavior. I mean, Simeon has been waiting for the Lord. And the baby Jesus is there. He takes him in his arms. You just, as you read that, you see there's, there's, there's joy. There's, there's hope in his life. And if you think about it, it's actually pretty miraculous for someone who's 70 or 80 to be hopeful and to be joyful. Because life is hard, isn't it? And isn't it more natural in some ways to get more and more cynical as you get older? More and more disappointments, more and more failures, more and more hardships. It takes something pretty powerful to keep you going. It takes something pretty powerful just to even keep you sane, really, after a lifetime of hardships. Never mind thankful and kind and devout and good like Simeon and Anna. So obviously they are receiving strength for life, and I believe that strength for life was fueled by their hope. They experienced hope in their life. Hope is a powerful thing to keep you going, to give you a reason to get out of bed in the morning, to keep you serving, to keep you loving, to keep you enduring. You need it. I need it. You cannot live and do the Christian life. You cannot love others. 
You cannot continue to worship and trust God without hope. God wants to give you hope. God wants to minister hope to you. I shared this illustration some years ago. Maybe you remember it. There was an experiment done by a a Dr. Richter from Johns Hopkins Medical School. And he took two sets of rats and put them in this container about 30 inches deep, 8 inches wide, full of water. And one set of rats he just put in there and they had to swim or they're going to drown. And they just let them swim. And the other set, they'd put them in the water, let them swim, and then every so often, every five minutes, whatever, they'd take them out or they'd give them a rest. They'd just keep on doing that. Can you guess what happened? The rats that had no rest, that had no, had no intermittent time to rest or look forward to, they, they drowned. The other rats kept on swimming for three days. Why? They had hope. If I just can swim five more minutes get a rest. They have something to live for. Hope is powerful like that. If it does that with rats, it certainly works that way with us as well. I, I read a story of a, about a, a, a boy who was uh, burned and in the hospital. And in his particular city, he was really near death. In his particular city, the school system had a program where they would, uh, where they would send people into the hospital to help the kids keep up to this, with their schoolwork. And uh, one of the teachers volunteered to, to be the one on duty, and she was given an assignment by the boy's teacher to, to come in and, and to go visit him and talk about nouns and adverbs. And she didn't, somehow didn't know the situation. She didn't know how severely burned he was and how severe his problem was. And so she went in, and she sat there and did her very best just to talk about nouns and adverbs with a boy that was, was in a lot of pain. And uh, she felt like she had failed. Like, what can I do to help? There's nothing I can do. And she got up and left. And the next day she came in, the nurse asked her, what did you do to that boy? The teacher felt, well, I must have done something wrong. I started apologizing. And she said, no, no, no. We've been worried about him ever since yesterday. His whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back. He's responding to treatment. It's though he decided to live. And it wasn't until some time later that the boy was able to, to express what went on. He, about two weeks later, he said this, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and verbs with someone who was going to die. So he had hope that he was going to live. And he did. That's how hope operates. It gives us strength. It gives us power for life. It keeps us going. We have something to hold on to. And it's a sure hope. It's not a fantasy. It's not a pie in the sky by and by. It's grounded on the fact that Jesus has come. He has lived. He has died. And he has rose again. That's a, a historical fact. It's grounded on that. So it's a, we ground it on the promises of God. The Spirit of God ministers that truth to us. And it gives us strength for life. And when it's time, hope gives us peace in death. Look at Simeon's response as he holds that object of his hope in his arms. You know, it's just a baby. It's a, it's a partial answer to his hope, but it's enough for him. He holds the fulfillment of that hope, the beginning of that fulfillment in his arms. He has peace, so he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Because of hope, he was ready to go. Lord, I can go now. You're dismissing your servant in peace. I, I have held in my arms the one who is the fulfillment of the consolation of Israel. I know you're going to do this. And now I'm ready to go. I'm at peace. Hope gives us that powerful ability that, that really the, the world doesn't have. It doesn't make sense to the world that you would face death with peace. If you don't have something bigger than what the, the suffering of this world would bring, what death would bring, there's really no reason to face death with peace. But we can say with Simeon, let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. A family member of mine died recently, and I wasn't there, but I just I heard that his last words were, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's what he said loudly. What a way to go, knowing that Christ has provided for you with that hope and that peace. Contrast that with the last words of people who did not have such hope. Arthur William Soroyan said this, Everybody has got to die, but I always believe an exception would be made in my case. What now? People can live their lives never never facing the fact that they're going to die. His last moment, he had no answer. Satirist Francois Rabelais said, I'm off in the search of the great perhaps. That's not peace. Contrast that with my relative, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With the words of Simeon, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation. Hope gives us peace in the face of death and hope works as we wait for what we only see in part last point we wait for what we only see in part Simeon and Anna had a baby to look at this wasn't the fulfillment of all the hopes because the consolation of Israel if you were watching when we read that verse it talks about redeeming in this universal way that God's going to come and redeem his people and redeem even the universe. Bring final judgment and all those who have trusted in Christ and this wonderful offer will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Christ will finish what he's, what he's done. Those are the promises, but, but Simeon and Anna just had a baby. He hadn't even lived yet. He hadn't died for sins. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't sat on the throne to finish what was started. It was just a baby. It was just a beginning. But hope and faith, which is really the, the heart of hope, doesn't need a complete answer. Hope is really faith looking forward. And just side point, uh, Thanksgiving is such a wonderful time of year. What, thanks, what Thanksgiving is for the believer is hope looking backward. It's, I mean, faith looking backwards. It's faith looking at what God has already done and saying, thank you, God. And just a side point, if you want to fuel your faith for the future, which is hope, remember things that he's done already. Exercise faith for the past and look back and say, thank you, God, for what you have done. That's why one of the many reasons Thanksgiving is such an important time of year and really we're to live every day that way. But faith doesn't need a complete answer. Faith doesn't need to have all our answers supplied. 
Faith is reasonable indeed, but it doesn't need to have every answer. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6, if you could put that up, talks about what faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews eleven six later on, says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for, and this is going to now describe what faith is, for whoever would draw near to God was, must believe that he exists, he exists, and two, he rewards those who seek him. So there's a future reward coming for those who seek him. That's what faith is. He exists, and he rewards. He will reward me in the future as I trust in him. And that's what faith is. And, and the reality is, everybody lives by faith. Don't let any atheist or philosopher tell you that you guys do this leap of faith and we don't. Everybody lives by faith. Nobody has all the answers. Everybody makes decisions on some answers. Some answers and then from that vantage decide, will I put my faith in this thing? So the atheist or agnostic has some answers that they've put their faith in. They believe whatever their system might be, there's lots of systems, they have some answers and they say, well, okay, now I'm going to put my faith and this as the complete answer. And that's often, if you want to have a good conversation with a, an agnostic or atheist, start to talk about the big picture. Okay, how do you know that's true? And you'll start to see that there's just not a basis for a lot of it. So faith is part of our existence. And faith, for us, is in something much better than mere creation. Though creation is a basis for our faith. It's faith in the eternal God. And it's believing that He is good, that he exists, and he will reward. He will finish what he started. His credit is good. He's given us his son. He's given us his son who is more precious than anything. His own son has been given for us. Dying on the cross, if we should receive him in faith, that we could be forgiven. He's given the most costly item in the universe for us. And so his credit is good. If he did that, he's going to do everything else. He's gonna, the full payment will come. And so we have reason for our faith. We have reason to trust him for the rest. Simeon and Anna just had a baby in front of them. We know more than they did. We know that this baby would come and live a perfect life and offer that life on the cross for our sins, for our forgiveness, for our righteousness before God, and that through faith in Him, we could have life. We, knew, we know that this baby rose from the dead, never to die again. He is the first fruits. He's a, he's a, a deposit in a sense, a guarantee of what's coming. And we have the Holy Spirit in us. The experience of the Spirit, Spirit in us that says, yes, this is real. And so God will make good on what He's promised. You know, we trust people every day to make good on their promises, don't we? I mean, our economy is built on that. Loans, right? The bank trusts you after you put your down payment to pay the rest. Um, people trust companies with money. Banks with investments and retirement plans. We trust the federal government with bonds. We live this way. We know what it is to live trusting that the rest will come. How much more so the God who is faithfulness itself, who will finish what he started, who has shown his commitment by giving his very son. Two verses I want to just show for you. 2 Timothy 2.13. Faithfulness is who God is. It says, if we are faithful, faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. In Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? God fulfills his promises. 
We can put our faith in him like Simeon and Anna did if the band could come up as we close this morning. I believe the Lord wants to strengthen you in hope this morning. I believe he really wants to speak to you. And maybe even as I was speaking, he was already doing that. You were already aware of how he wanted to apply this truth to you. Hearing God's word, it's important for our minds to be engaged, to consider the points, to consider the truth. God wants another step as we encounter him through his word. He wants a response. And what he wants to do is he wants to speak to us individually and call us to believe some truth about him or practice something in light of that truth. So, so as we close this morning, I just want to encourage you just to take a minute to close your eyes and say, Lord, what do you want me to do in light of this truth? Maybe he's just going to say, be still and know that I am God. Maybe he's going to call you to something else, but just take a minute to close your eyes and ask the Lord that question. Lord, what do you want me to do in light of the truth of hope? After we do that, we'll close in song.